Law Focus Podcast. Law Focus, handing you your rights. Good evening. It's exactly four minutes past seven, and you're back with us on Vow FM 88.1, and it's Law Focus. My name is Tapu Mahapi, and with me is Milliston Dewey. Now, we've been doing the show for a little bit now, and every week we've basically focused on human beings, human relations, and our own interactions with the law. Of course, as a human race, we are only a small fraction of the life that exists on the planet. Uh, among us, around us all the time, and with us are the animals, ones that we eat, ones that we love, ones that we hate, uh, and then some that we go and ogle out in the bush or wherever it is. And today, that's what we're going to discuss, our relationship with animals and our relationship with the law with regard to animals. Uh, it's something that doesn't always get a great deal of attention, particularly in our country, where we've got so many challenges. But it's something that we have to grapple with at some stage, whether it's because we have a funeral to attend and something's about to die, or because we've got an animal that's very sick and we have to decide what to do with it, or we find an animal that has been abandoned. But it's something that at some point in our lives we will have to grapple, deal with, or ask ourselves about in our interaction with the animals. Now, we're going to discuss this with a few experts as we normally do, and uh, we're going to take it from there. Hopefully, you will learn something about the animals and your responsibility to them. Certainly, um, Tepo. So, you know, most of the time we, we, we see animals as for food and for entertainment. For sure. But Alan Perrins from the Animal Welfare Society of South Africa is going to help us see that animals are more than just that. And it's going to be a wonderful conversation and an interesting one uh, to have with him this evening. Yeah. We should be speaking to him fairly soon. And remember that we're available on social media, on Twitter. Ha, ha, oh, ha, what's it called again? At at Mao FM, sorry, handle at Mao FM using hashtag Law Focus um, on on Facebook. We are Mao FM, and you can call us on the landline on zero one one seven one seven nine double eight one. Uh, for, for for podcasts, we're at uh, vits.journalism.co.za forward slash law or vits radio, radio academy on Iona. Now, coming up after the break are our legal hotspots where we look at what's going on in the week, the hottest legal stories of the week, and we unpack them a little and discuss them for you. Thanks for tuning in to Law Focus on Vow FM 88.1. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, of the, stories of the week, it's Legal Hotspots. Okay, welcome back to VARFM 88.1. We are doing our legal hotspots, which I think are very interesting this week because so much has happened already and it's only Tuesday. Um, starting with what happened overseas, we have the court case of Harvey Weinstein having been rounded up. So the former movie director and Hollywood producer, 67-year-old Harvey Weinstein, he is old, has been convicted in a first-degree criminal sex act and third-degree rape in the Manhattan State Courts in America. Okay, we cannot explain really what this means because um, they use a kind of slightly different system to ours, so we're going to leave it at that. Uh, Mm. He was, however... Acquitted of predatory sexual assaults. His name in allegations that were leveled against him arose during the really and uh, uh, during and really sparkling the Me Too movement. It is believed that he may face a sentence of a minimum of five years 
and a maximum of over 20 years in prison. On the way to the correctional facility earlier today, I believe, he was taken to hospital following his conviction due to allegedly suffering chest pains, heart palpitations and high blood pressure. And his lawyers have already confirmed that they will be filing for an appeal. Yeah, I've always wondered about the American system of degrees, murder in this degree, rape in this degree, Mm. robbery in that degree. It would be interesting to find out how they categorize those and how you could come to a conviction, say, in the third degree or something. I don't understand it myself. I wish I did. Um, These historical rapes uh, or sexual misconduct, some of them are rapes, some of them are sexual assaults, some some of them are stalking, all those type of things are really coming back to, to, to haunt people. And it's... Rightfully so, yeah. All right, moving closer to our shores, a very, very, very serious revelation in the last couple of days. The South African Gender Equality Report, now this is from the Commission of Gender Equality, has revealed how at least 48 positive women have been forcefully sterilized or coerced into sterilization. HIV positive, yeah. Yeah, HIV-positive women, 48 HIV-positive women, um, after giving birth in a public hospital. Now, the report reveals that these women were forced to sign consent forms agreeing to being sterilized and on pain of not being assisted uh, with their labor and uh, birth and delivery of, of, their ch- of their children. Now, 15 hospitals have been, 15, that's one five, hospitals have been found to have been involved in this outrageous and inhumane act uh, during the years 2002 to 2005. Uh, and if you remember, this was during really when up, when HIV was really, really mm. problematic. This was during the Mbeki years uh, and before he took a different stance on it. Now, women have said that nurses would tell them that HIV positive women should not ask questions when they're presented with forms to sign. Uh, the commission had said that the report took long because of the challenges they experienced in trying to obtain information and evidence in investigating the matter. The Commission has said that this report will now be taken to the Health Professional Council of South Africa. And that's, a, I mean, that's, that, that's a, 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 a truly astonishing revelation um, yeah. that this, something like this could happen in South Africa. Although it's historic, it, 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 it sounds about right to me. And the manner in which people with HIV were treated 15 to 20 years ago, it really was uh, a bit of a nightmare the way that they were treated. Uh, Sterilization is quite scary And I think uh, it's not even just HIV positive women I mean in this case of course the, you know, the report is speaking directly to that But I'm just saying that We've also had uh, issues in the past And even now Of people, women in particular Living with uh, disabilities Physical or especially mental um, Being forcefully sterilized uh, Without their consent Just because someone has decided that you don't deserve to have children mm. or whatever their fears are about you. You know what I mean? Mm. And I think it's quite scary. Yeah, with, 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 just touching on that, with mental disability, the severity of the disability would be a very important factor in whether consent can be obtained or not. Um, so the guardian or legal guardian of that person 
may have a say, oh, you know, rather than the individual themselves. So whether it's a curator bonus, curated litem, curator, whatever the case may be. So it might be a little bit more complicated with someone who's got a severe mental disability yeah. uh, as opposed to a physical so disability. Just a physical disability. Mm. It would be an interesting one to yeah, still it, tackle yeah, nonetheless, yeah, yeah. you know, because if we speak of human rights, we don't equate who has more rights than who mm, mm, and mm. who is allowed to make decisions mm. more than who, even though Yes. We can say you Someone are older, and you might. It would be with regard not to right, but yeah. uh, legal capacity. Legal capacity. The, the the ability to consent or not consent, or to carry out certain actions. But yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then finally, speaking of consent and such, we have something called a children's commissioner, which is the first time we've had such an office in South Africa. So the Western Cape has introduced the first children's commissioner. Uh, shortlisted candidates were interviewed from the eight. 18th to the 20th of February and the role of this commissioner for children is to ensure that the extra protection of children that their rights needs and interests are met so we are yet to see how this institution is going to fulfill its work how this process has unfolded who this uh, 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 institution will be spearheaded by and how it will impact society and of course particularly children further so it's going to be an interesting one to see what difference it will make in mm. our um, I, I hope this society. is a commission and a commissioner that has teeth. We have a lot of commissions in South Africa. Yeah, that's another interesting yeah, debate, yeah? yeah whether this do. is an important step yeah. or whether it's a waste of money yeah. and resources I would have, or whatever. My immediate reaction would be that why are we not strengthening and capacitating the children's court, for example? Instead because of having... Rather than having a children's commissioner. But there could be some very good reasoning behind it and we'll see how that goes. But let's hope that it actually translates into something tangible. Now, that's been our legal hotspots for the week. Uh, something for you to mull over, discuss and debate amongst yourselves during the course of this week. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, of the, stories week. of the week is Legal Hotspots. Listening to Law Focus? Connect with VowFam88.1 on Twitter and Facebook. Be your own lawyer. Okay, welcome back to VFM 88.1 with me, Millicent Ndiweni, as well as Tepa Mohapi. It has just gone quarter past seven this evening. You are joining us for a different kind of show where we are not discussing us, 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 us as people and our rights and what we are allowed to do and cannot do, but animals and their rights and how we make sure that they are protected in our society and so you are going to be now listening to the voice of Mr. Alan Perrins who comes to us from the Animals Welfare Society of South Africa and he's going to be sharing his uh, wisdom and insights into this very important issue. Good evening Mr. Alan Perrins, welcome to VOW FM. Good evening, Millicent. Uh, lovely to join you this evening. Thank you so much. So you are together with uh, Tapo here um, on Law oh, Focus. Oh, hello, Mr. Perrins. Yeah, hi there. Good evening to you. Good. So let's start off with this one. You could have chosen to work in any field, but you chose to focus your work on animals. Why? Yes. Um, I've been involved in the world of animal welfare for going on 20 years, and I've held various capacities, Prior to that, I was actually an accountant, uh, but uh, my wish and my dream was always to work for and uh, work with animals. So when the opportunity arose way back in 1999, I grasped the opportunity with both hands. 
and uh, cut my teeth as the hospital manager at the case of Good Earth SBCA, served a tenure as the chief inspector, and uh, for the last 10 years prior to my semi-retirement, I served as the chief executive officer, and today I'm the head of communications and resource development at the Animal Welfare Society of South Africa, mm. still doing what I love. And what does your work really entail? Then, you know, we get to share people's saddest and people's happiest moments. It's one of those jobs where I don't even want to use the word a job. It's more of a vocation. It's a way of life. And we get to share people's happiest and saddest moments. And we get to meet the most wonderful people and the most horrible people uh, of society. You know, we... Our, our job is entailed, uh, our job involves a lot of trauma. Some of the cases that we see are, you know, unimaginably horrific. Um, you know, recently you may have heard or read about a little pit bull uh, named Cooper that had his ears savagely cut off. We suspect without anesthetic and then, they had, you know, stitched back together again also without anesthetic. And we strongly suspect that the youngsters involved. Mm. Um, you know, restrained him physically, bound his legs and mouth up with duct tape. And, and those, those sorts of incidences do haunt you. You know, you never, you never become indifferent towards those sorts of incidences. Oh, wow. Sure. Heavens. Um, oh, wow. Okay. I was surprised at that. I mean, that, 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 that was that, was that an incident of, of cropping the, the ears or there used um, to be a practice of making uh, particularly what they used to term fighting dogs look uh, more aggressive and so they'd sort of crop the ears to look a particular way. Was it that sort of incident or was it a torture? In, um, 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 what happened there? Jethro, um the jury's still out regarding the motivation, but, but you're quite correct. We do suspect um, that the owners of this dog uh, may have had uh, plans to involve the dog in organized dog fighting and wanted the dog to take on a more vicious appearance, and that's why they cropped its ears. Ah. But um, that is now, in, in terms of our law, that's defined as animal mutilation. You may not crop a dog's ears and you may not crop a dog's tail anymore. Um, so, you know, if there's any form of mutilation for pure aesthetic purposes, it's against the law. There has to be a sound medical reason, and in this particular instance, there was no sound medical reason. And uh, to uh, make matters worse, the operation was not conducted in a surgery by a registered veterinarian. Hmm. Um, the alleged perpetrator is just a layman with a, with a sadistic streak. Wow. So, um, just going to uh, changing the, or mutilating an animal and changing its appearance. I remember a few years ago, well, when I was. Uh, Growing up, there was um, certain breeds of dogs, which mm. uh, had a, 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 had particular um, features, and even the kennel clubs expected them to have. So, for instance, a boodle bull had a cropped tail, a Rottweiler had a cropped tail, um, yep. certain Jack Russells, for instance, they all had cropped tails. And yes. uh, a few years ago, I can't remember when that was um, um, uh, criminalized uh, or it was un- made unlawful. Now, with the SPCA, etc., that has gone down fine. Uh, but with with vets and uh, farmers and those types of uh, of people who deal with animals as well, uh, breeders, for example, yeah. how's that gone down? Look, uh, I can only speculate as to how it's gone down. Mm. I think. Uh, organizations like the Kennel Union of South Africa 
which is a big organization representative of a number of pedigree dog breeds. They, they, they have adjusted their, their norms and standards to accommodate, um, you know, the new law, uh, which, which outlaws the cropping of ears and docking of tails. Mm. So I don't think there's, I don't think there's any issue now. And, um, I think it's been proven beyond any shadow of a doubt that it is painful to um, dock a dog's tail or to, cr- and there's, there's, there's absolutely no reason to, to um, crop a dog's ears. Mm. Um, so I do think there's a huge degree of acceptance uh, by both the breeders and the standard regulators. Um, okay. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we're very pleased that uh, the Veterinary Council um, issued uh, an ultimatum to say that, you know, this is definitely a cruel practice and, and needs to cease. Oh, okay. Mm, okay. Well, well. Um, if you are joining us right now, we are speaking to Alan Parents, and we're speaking on animal rights, and we just want to basically get into the issues of what animals go through um, that is painful and should, by law, not be happening. How do we protect them and make sure that we keep them safe um, because they are important for us in our society we enjoy having them around and we want to make sure that we do not find them being extinct like many other you know plants and animals that we've seen over the years um going you know disappearing off the face of the planet because of our own human behavior and selfishness uh so mr allen um the history of animal rights can you just quickly delve into that tell us what it is where it stems from etc Right. Um, the history of animal rights goes back many hundreds of years. In our case, the primary term of reference is the Animals Protection Act, number 71 of 1962. It has been amended a couple of times since 1962, but it is, it is as relevant today as it was way back then. Um, when one looks at, uh, at the sanctions that can be imposed by a magistrate, whether it's a regional or a district magistrate, Sometimes, you know, the, the sanctions are, I think, a little bit too lenient, uh, bearing in mind uh, very often the heinous nature of the crime. So, for example, in a district court, uh, the magistrate uh, can issue a sanction of no more than 30 years imprisonment, uh, sorry, three years imprisonment uh-huh. and a fine of 120,000 rand. And in a regional court, no more than 15 years imprisonment and a fine of no more than 600,000 rand. But I'm sure that you know as well as I do that, um, you know, even for the most heinous acts of cruelty, um, I think that the perpetrators get away with what's tantamount to a slap on the wrist. Mm. But um, to answer your question, um, the organization which I now represent, the Animal Welfare Society of South Africa, we're based in Philippi on the Cape Flats. We've been around for 90 years. In actual fact, this is our 91st year of service. So we're the second oldest organization. The oldest organization happens to be uh, the organization that I was with previously, the Cape of Good Earth SPCA, which is the founder SPCA of all SPCAs in South Africa. Mm. So, so, so it does go back some distance in South yeah. African terms. Yeah, very definitely. Uh, yeah. In actual fact, if you if you go back uh, and and have a look at the reasons why animal welfare became such a relevant um, such a relevant topic, mm. it had to do with mainly working animals, your draft horses, your draft cattle, and so okay. forth. 
which way back in the 1930s at the time of the Great Depression were being overworked, overridden, overburdened. Mm. And this obviously um, provoked people to do something. And that's, that's sort of what gave rise ultimately to the start of these various animal welfare organizations. We actually started off in Cape Town CBD. And since then, we've been to about, uh, I think we've been to three or four different locations uh, ending up where we are at the moment in the thick of things in the Cape Flats. Oh, okay. I wanted just to, 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 to go back a little bit to the courts and their sentences. Yeah. I, I understand punitive measures, um, but I was, you know, um, reading a little bit and I came across a, some reports that seem to indicate that someone who is a, um, cruel to animals, um, you know, has got a higher propensity to then become a serious criminal. So, so for, for, for instance, they found that many, many uh, people who are serial killers or, um, people who even kill, not serial killers, but more than multiple people in one, in one instance, yeah. have a history yeah. of being animal. Ab- not, not that doesn't mean all people who abuse animals will turn into mass murderers. That's not what I'm saying. But does the court take into cognizance or uh, the fact that if we have a serious um, case of um, animal cruelty, uh, that that person? merely doesn't need to go to jail, but they may need psychological assistance uh, to try and steer them in a different direction because there's a real possibility that their cruelty might now turn uh, turn and become, uh, you know, towards humans. Do, do South African yeah. courts have that kind of facility or do we just focus yeah. more on punitive measures? No, look, I think there's a combination. And uh, to a certain degree, the magistrate's hands are tied. Um, but... Um, I've noticed with some of the diversions um, that they have tried to, for example, they would they would encourage uh, the perpetrator to perhaps work in an animal welfare environment. Now, that does sound a little bit contradictory, but obviously, obviously it's under very strict supervision. Mm. Um, but you're quite right. I think there's a proven link between animal and human abuse. And, uh, you know, to use a few famous, or, you know, famous examples, um, Hannibal Lecter, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, mm, um, mm. those, 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 those um, you know, hardcore criminals mm. all started off by hurting and maiming and injuring and killing animals and then progressed yes. to um, killing uh, people. So, so there's, a, there's a very definite link. And very often, in actual fact, when we come across gross acts of animal cruelty, we will alert social services because... You know, it is indicative of something not being right within the household. Our philosophy um, at animal welfare societies is to prevent though instead of prosecute and to educate instead of confiscate. So we find that um, if you're looking at root causes for animal cruelty, very often ignorance is at the heart of everything. You know, um, there, there, there's a... Uh, a, it, it, the, the sentience of the animal isn't recognized. Mm. Um, it, it, it's treated as a mere possession or piece of property, an inanimate piece of property that doesn't have feelings. Mm. And, um, you know, the other thing that we have also found is that cruelty cuts all boundaries. It's not one certain, it's not one specific sector of the community that's got the capacity to be cruel. You know, uh, in, in Cape Town, 
Um, you have some of the more affluent areas where there's absolutely no excuse whatsoever, and yet people still perpetrate acts of cruelty against animals. So, you know, um, oh, yeah. I think ignorance and education is, is key to unlocking a lot of the animal cruelty issues, particularly on the Cape Flats. Um, you know, if one has a look at, at the animal overpopulation problem on the Cape Flats, for example, and uh, you try and encourage people to have their pets sterilized and to abide by the bylaws which prescribe the maximum number of animals per household, the first thing that they'll argue is, but the animals generate them a source of income. Mm. So that's why they breed them, and that's why they overwork them and override them and overload them, because they're trying to eke out a living. But it, but it does come at the expense of the animal, which is inexcusable. Mm. Yeah, no. I know, well, very interesting. I just want to take a quick break. We're just going to nip off to the store. Just hang on no while we um, uh, take a quick break. We'll be back now. No focus. Point, point of information. Welcome back. We are in Law Focus and we're speaking about animal rights today uh, and our relationship with animals as well. Uh, you're with Millicent and myself, Tapo. Remember, we're on Twitter at VioFM using the hashtag Law Focus uh, and our landline is 0117179881. You can always ask us questions on either of those platforms. We'll be happy to convey them to our guest. Um, Alan, I'd like to just move a little bit more on to the South African context, um, which is perhaps uh, uh, almost always unique. South Africa is a, is a very strange country, as we all know. Um, and we rely so heavily on tourism. Um, right. And part of the tourism that we have um, is people coming in to view the animals, you know, go on safari and all of that. But then we also have individuals who come in to hunt animals. Um, do, does your organization... Uh, assist with um, how that's done, when it can be done, how it's regulated, and what are the challenges that you find there, if you do find any? Um, the Animal Welfare Society's sort of core business is cats and dogs, so you're mm. more domestic animals. But, um, <clears throat> you know, we do stand opposed to trophy hunting, mm. very definitely stand opposed to acts like canned lion hunting and so forth. So, um, yeah, I, I think if you had to ask us what our standpoint is as an organization, we would very definitely stand strongly against any form of hunting for hunting's sake. Right. Uh, and particularly trophy hunting and canned hunting, those are just, you know, inexcusable acts of cruelty by, you know, um, a, but uh, but but the, the the majority of your work is done within the urban context, I imagine. With, with Correct. Yeah, okay. the majority of our work would involve domestic animals okay. and, to a limited extent, um, farm animals. Uh, we do get involved with people. There's a lot of emigration down to the Cape, mm. and very frequently, folk move together with you know lock, stock, and barrel uh, with their cattle and their small livestock and cats and dogs and whatnot. So that's really where we get involved. We don't really get involved with wild animal issues. Okay. Um, although I have given an opinion. You know, recently um, the law changed, and in very simple terms, although this is a complicated piece of legislation, but it redefined certain species of wild animals or gave them the same classification, rather, as farm animals. I don't know if you're aware of that. No, I'm not. Yes, so that caused a huge uproar, and I took a stance against that. 
and uh, we, rather the Animal Welfare Society of South Africa, took a very strong stance against that and said, look, how on earth can you redefine a wild animal as a farm animal? Mm. And um, so uh, it, it may be very interesting in actual fact to get a spokesperson from the Department of Agriculture, Forestries and Fisheries to actually speak to that particular topic. Mm. Because I we think never ever really received... Yeah, we never received... Uh, uh, an intelligent response to our critic on, on, on that legislation, which we still don't understand. I mean, I, 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 I'm completely baffled by mm. the notion that our big five can be relegated with the stroke of a pen wow. to the same status as a cat or a dog. Uh, I, I suppose that the, um, um, the reclassification would then open those formerly wild animals up to certain things that they would strip some of the protection they had prior. I would imagine that's the effect of it. That, 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 that's very definitely our opinion. And okay. it also encourages, um, you know, the keeping of wild animals in captivity, but for a profit. Um, So, you know, intensive farming methods may be used to breed certain uh, valuable species like sable antelope and water buffalo, and uh, there's nothing natural and dignified about that process. Um, So I think if if, if we had our own way, we'd really like the legislators to go back and have a look at the logic behind that lot. But um, at this stage, the only motivation that that I could think of um, is greed. Mm. as opposed to need. Mm. Wow, that's interesting. But then speaking of this reclassification of uh, wild animals as farm animals, etc., I've always wondered, I know you did say that your work is mostly with domestic animals, but um, since you're able to give opinion, um, zoo animals, do you believe that they actually do enjoy rights, animal rights, and how would you justify that? Well, I think we uh, have to start off by acknowledging the sentience of animals. And uh, as I say, I've been in the profession for over 20 years and I've earned animals all my life. And I defy anybody to tell me that my dog does not have feelings. He wags his little tail when he comes home. And as far as I'm concerned, that's a sign that he's happy to see me. But um, if one has a look at it, there's five freedoms... um, for animals, and these freedoms um, are these freedoms, uh, con- you know, have been contained in directives from World Animal Health Organization. And very simply, it says that animals should um, be free from hunger, thirst, and malnutrition. They should be fear from, They should be uh, free from fear and distress, physical and thermal discomfort, pain, injury, and disease. And they should be allowed to express normal patterns of behavior. And I think if one, if one uh, considers all those needs of animals and all those rights of animals, and you abide by those five freedoms, mm. then the animal can live a very long and a very happy life and be a very productive animal. But if you confine the animal into inadequate space, you starve the animal, you overwork the animal, and just generally speaking, neglect the animal, you know, don't be surprised um, if it bites the hand bites the hand that feeds you, mm-hmm. or if you don't make the profit that you thought you were going to be making. Um, you know, I think the use of animals, uh, com- you know, c- coming with the use of animals, there's a huge ethical responsibility, and very often people people forget about that. So I think, you know, perhaps from a legislative point of view, once again, 
if animals could be reclassified or redefined uh, from property or possessions to sentient beings, that would go a very long way uh, towards, you know, sealing that argument. Okay, wow, that's interesting. I feel like it's such a philosophical argument, you know. Philosophical arguments tend to be very open-ended. It's almost like either way, you give the guideline and then, you know, you can argue it both ways kind of kind of thing. Um, and that's the difficulty yeah. about some of these conversations at times. Yeah, Melissa, you know, if you want to look at it from a practical point of view, mm. I live in uh, in a beautiful part of Cape Town. It's a, it's a world biosphere area. And we, we've got lots and lots of wild neighbors, and we've even got a little resident troop of baboons. Now, there's a huge debate raging uh, at the moment as to whether they should be named or whether they should just be referred to as a number. And the general consensus is that once you name an animal, it takes on a little bit of a personality. So to hurt that animal or to um, use, um, you know, for example, pain aversion techniques to herd them out of town, it becomes that much more difficult to implement because people then say, oh, you know, but you're hurting poor old Alan. Um, or we saw Alan limping because, you know, somebody mm-hmm. threw a bear banger at him. And, uh, you know, so, so it is a philosophical debate. But I think... I think it'll take a huge, nobody would, will, will be able to convince me that animals aren't sentient. And mm. I think worldwide there is a move towards recognition of the fact that animals very definitely do have feelings and that pain is pain, mm. regardless of whether it's a human being or an, or an animal, animal mm. that the pain's been inflicted upon. Mm. Yeah. Well, if you've just joined us, we're, we're speaking. Uh, to Mr. Alan Perrins, and we're discussing animal welfare and our relationship with animals. Remember, they don't exist in isolation. They're around us all the time. Um, Alan, I'd like to perhaps also come up with perhaps a slightly more difficult topic. I come from a family which is very traditional on both sides. So my father's side of the family is quite traditional, and my mother's side of the family is also quite traditional. So, for instance, somebody dies a cow is going to be slaughtered or a goat or a sheep, whatever the case may be. Uh, so we have, and, and it's Africa, so we do have these uh, these rituals and ceremonies that we all perform. I remember in the mid-90s and late 90s, people really, uh, welfare, animal welfare organizations, reacted with almost complete revulsion at the idea. And then yeah. there was a move, um, a strong move towards adapting the treatment um, so yeah. using different tools etc etc um, or using yeah, yeah well, you call them tools I suppose so stunt, stunting the animal etc etc trying to talk to mm-hmm. elders making making adjustments and that created some uh, changes and uh, a, a better understanding from both sides has that approach uh, been working well still and are we still moving um, because, I mean, rituals and so on, they change. I mean, what, what I do and what my grandparents did are very different things. Mm-hmm. Um, is that still ongoing and how is that progressing? Yeah, look, I think it is ongoing and uh, huge strides in the right direction have very definitely been made. I'm a little bit out of uh, the operational circle, but I can tell you, um, if one has a little example at Kirbani, um, then... I think there is uh, a huge acceptance on the part of the Muftis responsible for slaughtering the animal to use, 
to use the sharp knife, to mm. not inhumanely restrain the animal, mm. and to make sure that it's not, you know, panicked and 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 injured in any way whatsoever. Otherwise, it is seen as an insult to 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 that tradition mm. or that cultural practice. Mm. So I do think huge steps and strides have been made, and um, I, I think I think I think the um, you know the traditional believers and the traditional practices um, have, have, have accommodated animal welfare to a large degree. There are isolated incidences. There's no doubt about it of animals being cruelly treated. But um, you know, I think a visit to a westernised abattoir, and and you'd be very surprised at some of the practices that you see happen there. Mm. So I do. I do, I do think, once again, you know, those, the abattoirs are policed by the SPCA, the Kubani's down in the uh, Western Cape or in the Cape Peninsula, they are policed, um, maybe that's not the right terminology, but they are, they are overseen by the various welfare organizations like the Animal Welfare Society and the SPCA. And very often when we have spotted something that's, that's not going quite according to plan, maybe the animal's been mishandled, um, you know, and you speak to the to the handler. The, the hostility of old has given way for acceptance now. So, I think there's an appreciation that we're not trying to be Eurocentric about this. Um, you know, and and we're very respectful in our approach. Mm. So it's not a case of saying that you can't do this because it doesn't meet my standards. Um, that's not the that's not the point at all. It's a case of just making sure that the animal is treated with. With compassion, respect, and dignity. Mm-hmm. So, and those, yeah, you know, those processes um, involve how the animal, where the animal's bought from, how it's transported, how it's handled, and ultimately how it meets its end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I can vouch for that because when I was, well, my family's always had a particular, my families have always had a particular way of dispatching animals, and that has changed over the last so 20 or so years, and it yes. is now within a single blow, it is almost instant, the manner in which they do it, and that's actually from um, assistance from farmers and others who have been in touch with the SPCA and the welfare organizations, and they take notes right, from that. Right, right. Yeah. So, I, I mean, yeah, I can no, tell you that it, it does work, that cooperative approach. Yeah, no, absolutely, Ted. Well, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, the Muslim Judicial Council and the SPCA and various other role players get together, and uh, they've got a very good rapport. And um, as I say, you know, ultimately it's a win-win. Uh, as far as I know, in actual fact, the captive bolting of animals to render them unconscious before they are slaughtered is almost common practice down in the Western Cape now. Mm. But as I say, there are isolated incidences of individuals misbehaving and disrespecting those cultural, traditional beliefs. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's about 60 minutes to 8 o'clock and we are still in conversation with Alan Perrins from the Animal Welfare Society of South Africa. We're going to just give you a break so that you can breathe, take a breather, and then we'll come back and round off this conversation. Listening to Law Focus? Connect with VowFam88.1 on Twitter and Facebook. Be your own lawyer. Hey, welcome back to VAWFM and, of course, Law Focus on 88.1 with Melissa Ntindiweni and Tepo Mohapi at quarter to eight this evening. We are in conversation with Alan Perrins and we are talking about animal rights and we have had a 
quite an insightful conversation so far about the history as well as the context of animal rights in South Africa and obviously, you know, also including our own cultural practices and how that affects and has impacted um, animal rights and how animal rights have impacted our uh, cultural uh, practices. Um, Alan, there are many stray animals, cats and dogs, you know, and um, that owners leave behind when... I don't know whether they would have moved from one property to another, um, right. or whether they would have passed away. Um, shouldn't there be a system of recording who the owner of an animal is legally so that we can have a way of monitoring the situation and dealing with the perpetrators of this? Oh, Melissa, if something like that could happen, we would be very, very happy. You know, We've called for the city of Cape Town to reinstate dog licensing. Mm. And um, unfortunately, that never get, got off the ground. But what the city did do is they encouraged people to voluntarily register on the central pet database. Interestingly enough, nobody knows with any degree of accuracy how many cats and dogs there are resident in the Cape Metro. You know, one can make critical assumptions and say, well, you know, maybe there's two cats and two dogs per household times by the number of households. That's how many millions of cats and dogs um, cohabit the Cape Metro. So um, if something like that could be reintroduced, if it was practical, then uh, I think that would be a step in the right direction to help regularize pet ownership. What I can say is in the area where I live, which is the Uberstrand municipality, uh, of the Western Cape, they actually have reintroduced dog licensing. And I've been following the debate on social media quite closely. And um, <clears throat> I, I don't think people get it. It's like outrage. It's almost seen as, you know, we pay enough tax. Why must we pay more money to keep dogs and cats? Well, you know, at the end of the day, it's to help regularize an out-of-control situation. I mean, there's an undeniable pet overpopulation problem mm. in Cape Town. I'm not sure what it's like up in, uh, in Johannesburg mm. and elsewhere. Oh, it, it, oh it, it's bad. Okay. <laughs> and, um, you know, talking about stray animals, um, you know, you're right. You know, people are callous enough and indifferent enough to just up and leave and leave yeah. it for animals to fend for themselves. Uh, if I, you know, I drive quite a long way to work every day and, uh, I go through the back roads and, um, and as I say, you know, being in the heart of the Cape Flats, I, you know, it, it breaks my heart to see how many homeless, emaciated, starving, neglected dogs there are wandering around, mm. especially on bin day, which is their sort of, uh, the only time they get to, to eat anything. So it, it's a, it is a huge problem, and it, it also poses a risk to the community, you know, because unhealthy pets normally equal unhealthy people. Mm. So, and does yeah, that? that I mean, be. I mean, based on, on on your response, are you are you happy with um, the laws that we have? Do you feel that they adequately? adequately protects animals or uh, would you like to make an addition? I mean, if you were in charge of, I don't know what <laughs> we could call it, but would you, what, what would you do differently to make sure that animals are adequately protected? Well, you know, when you look at the Animals Protection Act, it's a great piece of legislation, okay? There's no denying that. I mean, it gives animal welfare um, officials enormous powers, okay? Yeah. Um, and, and if one has a look and I can only talk with authority on the city of Cape Town's bylaws. The bylaws are brilliant. Um, there was a huge public participation process. I think they were rewritten 
There was a whole lot of little bits of bylaws scattered all over the show, and it was very difficult to interpret them because this municipality said, no, you can keep any number of dogs. This one said you can keep chickens. This one said you can keep horses. So the city decided, hang on a second. Let's scrap all of that, and let's put together one, you know, world-class consolidated animal control bylaw, which they did. The problem is that it's policed on a reactive as opposed to a proactive basis. So only when there's a complaint is the law enforcement officer dispatched. And obviously the carrying capacity of the various animal welfare organizations is limited because we, for example, get absolutely zero money from the government, nothing. That despite the fact that we actually do provide a safe haven for the many homeless and stray animals that we admit. Mm. Um, you know, uh, the city of Cape Town ought to have a functional plant. They have got an outsourced arrangement with the SPCA. But, I mean, the SPCA has also got limitations. So I think the bylaws need to be more rigorous, rigorously uh, enforced. And if somebody has got more than the maximum prescribed number of animals, then something needs to be done about it. If somebody's keeping uh, farm animals in their backyard and they're causing a problem in the neighborhood and disturbing the peace and presenting um, a real hazard to oncoming traffic and so forth, then something needs to be done about it. Mm. Okay, no, makes sense. Thank you so much. I think you were really insightful this evening. It was a wonderful conversation. I think we learned a lot, something different from the usual, you know, human beings and the law. So we'd like to really extend our great gratitude to you um, for coming onto the show tonight, Alan. Thank you. Melissa and Sefer, I must be honest with you, this was one of the most intellectually stimulating little discussions I've had in a long time. It's late on a Monday evening, and I've thoroughly enjoyed every single second of it. So, yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you so much. Good feedback. Yay. Oh, Law Focus is doing great things, guys. We're getting getting good, uh, uh, you know, some good feedback out here. Um, so you know what, Tepo, as we round up our conversation, it's quite interesting how, you know, there are people who don't believe that animals have rights. You know, there are people who don't believe that animals have feelings. Some people who don't believe that animals are important. And, you know, why should I look at an, after an animal more than I would a person or mm. someone who, you know, those kind of arguments. It's just an, and it's just a dog, you know, you yeah. don't care. It's just a dog. And people will make arguments, you know, about how, no, why should I, you know, care for an animal or, care, you know, when there are people who are hungry, people who um, need more help than an animal that could ideally, I don't know, take care of itself. And I guess that's one of the interesting conversations and philosophies that we need to deal with in our society, you know? Yeah. It opens up quite a number of floodgates in terms of conversations, you know? How far do the animal rights also extend? Do you stop eating meats? Do you stop wearing leather? Do you stop going to the zoo? You know, mm. how do you balance it out? Yeah, I mean it's yeah, I mean it it's it can turn into a very big conversation, but I think ultimately for the average person it's a responsibility that you have to the animals that you own and that are around you to ensure that they're healthy, that they're well fed, that they're uh, properly housed and that you don't have too many of them. Uh-huh. Uh, and that once that becomes uh for whatever reason impossible for you to to, to ensure that you take steps to make sure that the animal is taken care of. 100%. Uh, whether it means giving it to the SPCA 
you know, sterilizing it. Um, but I think perhaps one of the, the big things is how we don't perhaps teach people how to sterilize or encourage sterilization of animals. I think that's quite a big problem where you find in some communities dogs just breed and breed and breed and breed and breed and that causes problems because people then can't afford to take care of that many dogs they can't afford to um, house them feed them clothe them whatever the case may. and then you have strays diseases you can have all sorts of problems but ultimately it's just about taking responsibility for your dogs or your your animals and the animals in your Particularly, if you can start there, you're doing the right thing. Mm, okay, well, uh, let's not be ignorant, South Africa. Let's choose to get ourselves as much knowledge as we can about animals and to care for them. So this is what we do have for this evening podcast, Iono or vits.journalism.co.za forward slash law. Up next will be the voice of hip-hop with Sizu the MC from our producer Simba Honde, our technical producer Kutlano Sirame, our law-focused researchers, Tepomo Happy, as well as myself, Millicent Ndiweni, thank you for tuning into Law Focus tonight. Good night. Good night. Law Focus, point, point of information. Law Focus Podcast.